Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed to Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2024, and we are back on the brink. On January 19th, funding runs out for roughly 20% of the government, including for essential programs such as some veterans' assistance and food and drug safety services. The funding for the rest of government runs out on February 2nd. Joining me now to get us all up to speed on the state of play in Congress is Joshua Sewell, TCS Director of Research and Policy, and Mike Sorisco, TCS Director of Campaigns. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Hey, happy new year. Hey, guys. Josh, let's start with you. So even before this Congress was gaveled back into session by Speaker Mike Johnson, word came that a new bipartisan deal on the fiscal 24 budget caps had been agreed to in principle. Break it down for our listeners. What's the top line number and what programs seem to have been spared the axe? Steve, new year, new deal. Although I got to say this one looks a lot like the old $1.66 trillion or so deal uh, that former Speaker McCarthy actually hammered out with Senate Dems in the White House last June. Um, defense has a top line of about $886 billion and non-defense spending a, a technical cap of $704 billion. All right, carry the line. Oh, yeah, jump in. Uh, no, 886 plus 704 is not 1.66. So what are we missing? That uh, pseudo offset sidecar, as I'd call it. So $704 billion, that is the top line. But in the debt limit deal negotiations way back times of last year, it was agreed that in the actual writing of the spending bills, that, that Congress and the Senate would provide nearly $70 billion more in non-defense spending. Okay. Um, can you explain to our faithful podcast listeners how you get additional spending without budgeting for additional spending? Washington math. So it's mainly by clawing back a number of funds. And so the negotiators agreed to rescind, which is basically cancel, billions in unspent COVID-19 response dollars, as well as $20 billion provided to the IRS as part of their pot of funds from the Inflation Reduction Act. So this is a pseudo sidecar for two reasons. Um, one, it's not an agreement with legislative tax. It's just between the two leaders. And two, the COVID and the IRS money is a rescission and reappropriation. So there is no, quote, new spending. Yeah, exactly. But I have to say, especially with the COVID dollars, those aren't needed for their original purpose. That's why they are unspent. And so they've been sitting around for a year, two, three years in some instances. They should just be rescinded and that savings banked for taxpayers. Uh, but from a technical budgeting perspective, those clawbacks are not new spending. But let's be honest, for normal people and basic common sense, they are. And that's why the price tag is higher than it looks at first. Right. And, and actually, as we've talked about on the pod before, um, 
the IRS funding clawback actually is even more costly um, because it adds to the deficit. And uh, that's not just TCS or me talking. It's the Congressional Budget Office. All right, Mike, we've talked about this so-called laddered CR, you know, with a bifurcated expiration. So let's let's turn to that. I mentioned it at the top. So what is in the one that's expiring on January 19th, the most imminent threat? Um. Well, so in within a, in about a week, um, there are four appropriations bills that need to be passed through the House and Senate and agreed to and signed into law. Otherwise, the funding for those departments will essentially stop. Uh, and that includes agriculture, uh, rural development, the FDA. Those are kind of bundled together. Then you've got military construction and veterans affairs is one. And then, uh, then you have transportation, housing and urban development. Um, and then energy and water. Um, and, uh, you know, this was part of the agreement that was made, uh, to try and prevent a shutdown at the end of last year. Uh, then there's a second, um, set of deadlines coming up in February, which is basically everything else. Gotcha. And, you know, as I think about this, you know, is there a, a it seems like there might be some sort of rhyme or reason why those four bills were picked, um, you know, uh, and so do you, you have any insight into that, Mike? Well, I think the idea was that, you know, these are the less painful than the Department of Defense, for example, and some agencies that are affected by this first um, deadline like the VA do have funding that extends out beyond the current fiscal year. So, um, you know, it wasn't random. Uh, they, they certainly did this. Uh, you know, Congress likes to give itself lots of deadlines, um, for better or worse. That's kind of the only way anything gets done. Uh, and in this case, even if they kind of blow through these deadlines, you know, this is the hope here was that this would pass and it did. And now we, you know, are quickly approaching the first deadline and uh, Congress still has a lot of work to do in the next week. Right. Well, you mentioned like, you know, the VA um, having advanced funding for veterans health, um, you know, which is something that actually came into pass uh, several years ago because of the shutdown. Uh, and so they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again. Um, but then you also have as um Mr. Agriculture, we'd be happy to talk about, but you have funding through uh, the extension of the farm bill and, and, and some of the slush funds that the USDA has. The Corps of Engineers and Energy and Water, they're awash in cash. You know, MILCON is five-year funding. It's not really affected, you know. And so uh, the transportation, you have the – they've already done the five-year highway bill. And so so I think you're right, Mike, that a lot of these were, were um, meant to be not as painful as, like you said – having DHS or, or DOD or labor health and human services, having those actually um, shut down. So that's the CR aspect. That's the triggering mechanism. Now going back to this uh, uh, agreement, you know, house freedom caucus members, um, you know, it seems to be are about as unhappy with this deal as they were with the last deal, the one that led to the firing of uh, speaker McCarthy. So, um, is this compromise, as uh, Representative Bob Good, uh, the head of the Freedom Caucus, uh, told the Washington Post last week, bad for the American people, the deficit and the national debt? I think that's a little much, but let's point out that there are definitely some uh, members of the GOP who are very upset. 
Uh, and you, as evidence, one of the first acts in returning to Congress this week is that 13 of them actually tanked a procedural vote that would have set debate on some non-controversial bills, at least things that they supported, a couple of congressional review acts where they were going to disapprove of some things that the administration is doing. And so this is uh, the tactic that they used, many of them used against uh, Speaker McCarthy uh, in the past, and actually Mr. Johnson as well, um, to basically express their displeasure uh, with what he's doing by scuttling what is normally a routine vote and partisan vote on the floor, uh, just to sort of get the attention. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I honestly was surprised when the news came out that they had struck this deal that was so in line with the original agreement, considering what happened to McCarthy. Uh, you know, with that in mind, I, I would be surprised if we went through the same um, scenario again of vacating the chair and going through, um, you know, all of the rounds of trying to elect a new, um, you know, speaker, as you recall you know, at one point, Mike Rogers from Alabama was, was, you know, practically coming to fisticuffs with uh, Representative Gates uh, as they were trying to come up with a, a candidate that they could elect as the new speaker. So I don't think that's going to happen again, even though there's been, you know, some threats uh, to vacate uh, Speaker Johnson, just like Speaker McCarthy. I guess the question is, where do we go from here? Right. Well, and, um, you know, it does make you wonder, though, who is uh, who's in that uh, acting speaker list that Speaker Johnson had to uh, submit? You know, I mean, it's obviously not uh, I'm assuming it's not Congressman McHenry again. Um, but anyway, um, I digress. Uh, so, I mean, it seems like the frustration or, or it's just an acknowledgement that it's time to move on, that this top line, they agreed to it. They've got Senate Majority Leader Schumer on board. They got the White House on board and that, you know, here we are. We're already into the fourth month of the fiscal year and it's time to move on. I mean, would you gentlemen agree with me on that? Yeah. And no, I think that's the it's, it's frankly, it's just math, both arithmetic and political math. I mean, it's it's an election year and we're actually moving up on to the next fiscal year spending bill process should be starting any day now with the president's State of the Union coming up and then the regular budget process. I was going to say they're, and they're obviously running out of time. And so, so there's been some discussion about doing yet another CR to give them enough time to put together all of the appropriations bills that get us to the top lines that they've agreed to, which is another, uh, you know, political hand grenade, uh, for Speaker Johnson to deal with because he, essentially took that role vowing not to continue um, funding the government through continuing resolutions. Uh, but it seems unlikely that we're going to get, you know, enough done between now and the 19th. Uh, so there is, a, I think, a strong possibility that at least part of the government will shut down that. I was in a CR. Um, and part of the rationale for giving them this time in this laddered CR was that then there wouldn't be some huge omnibus package that they would be considering these bills and some semblance of regular order and the fact that it wouldn't be, it would be minibuses or it would be individual spending bills. I mean, is there any prognosis for anything like that? Even if there's a, especially if there's a short-term CR? It gets back to, they, they tried this process in the fall and they got as far as, and they being the house got as far as they could. But I think this is just, I, I don't know how many times we can say this, but what we need to is that this is just, the reality is you've got the gains you can move on to the next big spending fight. And I think it's, let's make it clear. I think you can, 
the speaker and others are arguing that this is a win. And I think they are, I, I agree with them to a certain extent. They've gotten what they can. And actually that sidecar deal is as annoying as it is to me as someone who doesn't like uh, to, to rescind funds that we're not going to spend and pretend like that's you know not new spending. They actually are rescinding even more than they were uh, in, the, in the previous deal. So an extra $6 billion in COVID funds that if they had passed these bills in the fall would not have been rescinded. And uh, that $20 billion, you know, not a big fan of taking that from the IRS because I think it's going to be do some damage. But uh, if you wanted to get rid of that spending, well, now they're going to do all $20 billion this fiscal year as a, instead of doing 10 this year and 10 next year. So those are incremental wins. But hey, I mean, Washington's all about increments, right? I mean, it, it takes a lot of we didn't get to where we are from one fell swoop, so it's going to take a lot of uh, a, a lot of small changes uh, and some big changes to get to where we need to be. Yeah, and on the big changes, you know, all of this speaks to the dysfunction in the appropriations process writ large, and that in the last four decades, there's only been a handful of years when Congress has appropriated money the way that it's supposed to be done under regular order. So. Perhaps um, it's time as for a uh, another sort of fiscal commission that that we have talked about, others have talked about, um, similar to ones that happened in the past, to try and at least have some discussion about the process in the Congress about how money is appropriated each year because the current system is broken. Yeah, if memory serves, uh, only the appropriations, just having all the bills done, even if they were done in, you know, in minibuses or whatever, having all the bills done before the October 1st start of the fiscal year has happened precisely four times in the last 50 years, uh, since the 1974 Budget Act. So, uh, I, you know, we certainly in a podcast, I think two ago, podcast listeners, please go back. And, and, and listen, uh, we did talk about the fiscal commission. It's something that, um, we've, TCS has decided to, uh, put our, our shoulder to the wheel and try to push something like that forward. Um, Josh, you mentioned, um, get to the next spending fight. Uh, and, um, actually the next spending fight is right here. Uh, I mean, we've got in addition to the FY24 appropriations, there is this whole fight over supplemental spending that is kind of riding on a parallel track with this and seems like, you know, it has the Ukraine funding, it has Israel funding, it has potentially a border deal, which all of this seems to sort of contingent, you know, tie on. And so is there any insight as to what's happening there or if, if, if this might just move even without that? The current request basically started back in August. Uh, and so this has been marinating for months, uh, and so, and has grown in size uh, to cover more than 104 billion. I think if you add a couple other things, it could be 113, 115, 130. Just a question of how large it gets, especially with the border in there. Um, and so, I, yeah, this is it could be a parallel track, um, but the way Washington typically works is there's a very limited amount of time to do anything, uh, and it's easier to do a bunch of things in one big bill, uh, whether our personal distaste and many members of Congress expressed displeasure with those omnibus packages, but they can't seem to shake them. I don't know if it's optimism, but I believe that there will be a supplemental package um, and it will come out and be agreed to pretty quick. The biggest issue is the border. Um, It's exactly the uh, administration has requested tens of billions of dollars uh, in border security funding, but it's some of the policy prescriptions that are sort of holding things up right now. Um, but I do have to say, again, that there are some legitimate 
emergency interest going on now, but this just gets to another thing that we've criticized uh, numerous times of there's a lot of things being treated as a budgetary emergency that aren't necessarily uh, a true emergency as most people would think of an emergency. All right. Mike, you know, we talked about a CR and uh, the um, anathema of particularly members of the House Republican Conference to doing these CRs. So they kind of put a, I won't call it a poison pill, but certainly a deterrent of doing long-term CRs into the Fiscal Responsibility Act this past summer that extended the debt ceiling deal. And so what is that deterrent that they have in there? I know you've written extensively about this. Well, I mean, part of the the goal of that um, deal was to, to, you know, get at whether it, you know, piecemeal or on the margins, this broken budget process that I mentioned. And so as part of the raising of the, the debt limit to avoid a default, um, which is a separate issue that, that we I think have discussed before too, uh, they put in automatic uh, reductions for both defense and non-defense funding, if Congress is passes another continuing resolution that extends into 2024, and those cuts would go into effect at the end of April. So, again, Congress likes to give itself lots of deadlines with the hope that you know that it forces their hand, and um, and maybe you know maybe you can say that it's worked this time since there has been. You know, this breakthrough, at least at the top lines, um, for total spending during FY24, uh, we'll see what happens if they can, you know, get the brass tacks worked out in time. Uh, but if they do pass a CR, uh, and it, it extends beyond April, like a full year continuing resolutions, for example, then these trigger, these automatic cuts would be triggered pursuant to the uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act, which was the deal between McCarthy and the White House back last summer. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it, it's, a, it's called sequestration, which is not actually spending cuts. It's more of a limit to spending increases. And it's, uh, we've criticized it as a very blunt tool. Um, but unfortunately, it has emerged as one of the few ways to actually rein in um, spending because nobody seems to agree on what needs to be cut. So thank you, Mike. And so then, you know, we're less than a month away from when the president is actually legally mandated to send his budget is FY25 budget to the Congress. And I mean, it seems sort of surreal that we're still fighting over FY24 uh, and actually the second of the CRs expires basically right about the same time that the budget is supposed to be submitted. So what are you guys' uh, thoughts about the FY25 budget and uh, prognosis for getting that done? I just say, let's move on. I'm ready. I think I think it's it's time to to put a pin in this conversation about fiscal year 2024. I saw a, a stat today also that at the current levels, I think with this agreement, the fiscal year 24 discretionary spending, which is what we're talking about, both defense and non-defense discretionary, will be, according to the CBO, at the same percentage of our GDP as it was in 1996. So the discretionary budget has gone up. It has not accelerated nearly as much as other parts of the budget. And so you've done what you can. Fiscal year 2024 is basically halfway over. Let's just 
let's move on to the next fight. And I think that's that. I, I, I want it to be the, the supplemental spending bill, how to figure out how to pay for parts of that that need to be paid for. But that should be a quick debate, too. And then we just move on to 2025. And I, I'm always an optimist. I, even in an election year, even in a presidential election year, uh, even with only a two, what do they have, a two vote margin, I think, in the House right now, Republicans, they all ran to do a job. There's enough of them. If they agree to do the job, there'll be a bipartisan solution to, to any problem. And so let's move on. Let's have some substantive debates and let's do it. Here, here. Josh Sewell and Mike Sorisco, thanks for braving the brink and bringing things into better focus today. New year, new hope. My pleasure, Steve. Well, there you have it, podcast listeners. Where and how we spend our money matters. This is The Frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this, Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode soon. I hope you'll meet us right here to learn more.